My name is Dave. I'm one of the teaching team here. I'm glad to be able to be with you this morning. Um, it's uh, fun to be out here outside with our papers blown away. All right. And um, I want to just thank everybody who was involved in getting set up for being outside. There's a lot of work to get this set up with setting up the tent and sound system and uh, the camera and um, with the security team and everything. It's, uh, so why don't we give them a hand because I enjoy being outside. It's a lot of work. So we've been, um, we've been digging into a series for this summer um, talk, uh, that's called I Have Sinned, and we're uh, looking at different people in the scriptures, different moments in the scriptures when people become aware of their sin, and we're uh, studying the effects that sin has on our lives and what we can do when we become aware that we have sinned. So before we start, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can gather together this morning as a family and as friends. We thank you for this beautiful day and we thank you so much for your church, a place where we can come and we can encourage one another and we can pray for one another and we can um, learn from your word where we can be honest and open uh, with what's going on in our lives and um, we can encourage one another to grow in faith. I pray, Lord, this morning that as we um, learn from your word, that you would help us to be receptive and uh, that you would help us to be ready to listen and ready to be touched by your spirit. Um, I just pray today that anyone who's come that um, is in need, that needs someone to comfort them or to pray for them or just needs a word of kindness um, or a friendly touch, Lord, I just pray that you would make those connections, help that person to find the right person here who can talk to them, can minister to them in the way that they can be your hands and feet. And Lord, I just... Um, Pray that you would help me as I deliver this teaching. Please help it to be conveyed accurately uh, in a way that's in accordance with your scriptures and um, for us all to be ready to listen and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today we are going to be talking about uh, a time in the history of the faith when God worked uh, extremely powerfully to demonstrate his might and power in front of people, and one person in particular, who did not love him, all right, and had no fear for him, and no respect for God, but who God specifically demonstrated to this man just how powerful he is, how mighty he is, in a way that very few people have experienced. And that, uh, and that this, the scriptures go into detail in describing to us the condition of this man's heart as he observed the uh, work that God was doing, the mighty power of the God that was working in him, and we get this day-by-day -day update of the condition of his heart. And that's what we're going to be looking at 
is this idea of the heart and how the heart can be in response to God and his power. So this, the, the man we're going to be talking about is the Pharaoh of Egypt, uh, which Pharaoh was the word. It's not just one specific person. Pharaoh just meant the king of Egypt. Uh, but this is one particular king who is the one who interacted with Moses and was involved in God bringing his people out of Egypt. So we're just going to give a quick recap of the story, what happened, and then look at what would be involved uh, in us responding to this story. So the first thing, the Hebrew people, the children of Israel, they were being held in captivity in the nation of Egypt, uh, and particularly by the king of Egypt, who was called the Pharaoh. They were forced to work harsh labor as slaves. They were the victims of oppressive violence and genocide including the killing of their children. In the midst of this dark time, God uh, raised up a man whose name was Moses, and he raised him up for a specific task. Now, it's interesting what the scriptures actually say is the specific task that Moses was being raised up for. In Exodus 3.10, it said, God says to Moses, So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So he's not just sending him to bring the people out. He's sending him to Pharaoh, to the most powerful man. I didn't do it. To the most powerful man in the world to be a messenger from God to speak to that man and to bring the people out. God tells Moses ahead of time what will happen. In Exodus 3, 19-20, it's that God says, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. So then Moses went to Pharaoh and to his people, the Hebrews, and Pharaoh, in response, decided to multiply his cruelty. This is a part of the story you're probably familiar with, with they were forced to still make all the same bricks, but they weren't given the straw they needed to do it. So it was like double, triple the work, but you still have to produce just as much. And the cruelty of Pharaoh. So Moses went back to God. And here's a key verse in the narrative. This is Exodus 7, starting at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. Verse 3, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. So the next thing that happens in the story, many of you are familiar with, um, God performs a series of miraculous signs and wonders. And with each one, the scriptures give us an update 
on the status of Pharaoh's heart. Not just whether he lets the people go or not, but what's going on inside this man. So the first sign, Aaron's staff becomes a snake. And the scriptures say in regards to this, Pharaoh's heart became hard. Next, the Nile River and all the other fresh water in Egypt turned to blood. It says like the fresh water in their pitchers. Isn't that, I mean, that's, that's a gruesome sign and wonder. In response to that, the scriptures say, Pharaoh's heart became hard. He did not take even this to heart. Next, a plague of frogs was sent on the land. Pharaoh, in response, pleaded with Moses for relief from the frogs. But when all the frogs died, the scriptures say, he hardened his heart. Next, the dust, the very dust of the land turned into gnats and went on and in everything. Even Pharaoh's magicians said to him, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen, according to the scriptures. Then dense swarms of flies filled the whole land of Egypt, but left the Hebrews alone. Pharaoh asked Moses to pray for relief, but once the flies left, he refused to let the people go. It says in the scriptures, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Next, all the livestock of the Egyptians died, and the scriptures say Pharaoh's heart was unyielding. Then Moses tossed soot up into the air in the presence of Pharaoh, and the people of Egypt, including Pharaoh, were afflicted with festering boils. And this time it says in the scriptures, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. All right. So we're kind of halfway through the wonders, signs and wonders. Let's pause for a second just to think about this. Um, Pharaoh has had it revealed directly in front of his eyes. You know, he is a direct eyewitness of just how powerful the God of Moses is in ways that are greater and more powerful proof than almost anyone in history has seen. Right? He has seen the staff become the snake, the water turn to blood, the plague of frogs, the dust turn into gnats, flies overrunning everything, and all the livestock drop dead. But this is what a hard heart can do. Even in the face of clear evidence, right in front of your face, you can ignore that and overlook it, not be affected. Because the heart is the very center of a person. And if the heart is hard, it is unchangeable. It can't learn. It can't be directed. The will is in prison within that hard stone, unchangeable heart. And I think we have all either been or known people like this, that they have hardened themselves in a belief, in a position, in some kind of activity that they're doing, so that nothing that they could see, nothing that they could hear, no evidence, no matter how strong 
no matter how clear, they just they couldn't change because they're in prison to that hardness and, that, and they just don't have the ability to respond. Next in the story came the plague of hail. Now, I want to read this part out of Exodus because there's a lot of just fascinating details that the scriptures give us. If you want to look at it, this is Exodus chapter 9, and we're going to start at verse 13. Verse 13, Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time, I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But... I have raised you, Pharaoh, I've raised you, Pharaoh, up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field and they will die. The, those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so that hail will fall all over Egypt on people and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, when I have gone out of the city, I will spread my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop, and there will be no more hail. So you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands towards the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped, and the rain no longer poured down on the land. And skipping down to verse 34. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, 
he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. Some interesting details in that one. Pharaoh, for a moment, seems to have softened and yielded that hard heart. For a moment, it seems like he has finally realized that God is the God of the whole earth and that he has, doesn't have power before him. But just for a moment, when the hail goes away, it says he hardened his heart. It might have got a little soft. Let's harden it up again. Next, locusts afflict the land. But it says, Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. So Pharaoh is starting to develop a new habit. Let's say, I've sinned. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and, would not, and he would not let the Israelites go. Next, darkness covers the whole land. This is in chapter 10. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, Get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. And then, worst of all, those of you who know the story, there was a final wonder of the Lord where all of the firstborn children of the Egyptians, even Pharaoh's house, were killed. Then, after that, the Hebrews did leave the land of Egypt. But even still, it says that the Lord again hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he sent his armies in pursuit. But those armies eventually end up drowned in the Red Sea after the children of Israel had passed through. Okay, deep breath. So that's a lot. There are a lot of things to take away from this story. But the key thing that we are looking for in this sermon series is a better understanding of sin of its impact on our lives and how we can truly repent and turn away from it. So as a starting ground, what were Pharaoh's sins? What specifically were the sins of Pharaoh from the text? So clearly, it's a sin that he was holding the people of Israel as slaves and along with that, his cruel and brutal treatment of them. He also was a worshiper of idols and led his people in the worship of idols. We see clearly in the story that he would make promises one day, and then on the next day go back when it suited him. We see that he participated in magic and sorcery. He was violent and ordered his soldiers to treat people with violence and even to kill children. And I think that at the root of a lot of this is that he did not fear the Lord. Even after seeing wonders, that demonstrate the power of the Lord beyond all possible questions, he still had a hard and defiant heart. Digging in a little bit to the idea of a hard heart. And we're just talking, just because we're talking about Pharaoh, 
who was surely one of the most hard-hearted men of all time. We should not miss this opportunity this morning for each and every one of us to examine our own hearts and answer some questions. Is there any way that I have a hard heart? Is there anyone who I am specifically hard-hearted toward? Are there any sinful ways that I am hardened in so that I have not, I'm no longer able to truly repent? Is there anything that Jesus has called me to do that I am hardened against obeying? So a good question to ask would be, how did Pharaoh's heart get so hard? How could someone be so hard that even in the face of this kind of evidence of the power of God, they would still not fear God? still be unyielding in their sin, and, or that when they become aware of their sin, not able to follow through on their repentance, right? You know, Pharaoh, it seems like maybe tried or maybe got the idea that he should repent, but he wasn't able to do it out of the hardness of his heart. So there's a few ways that I want to talk about how Pharaoh's heart became um, so hard because they could be things that, we could, that could happen to us too. First, he was trapped in idolatry. What is an idol? It's easy to think of an idol from the scriptures as a statue that people pray to, and that definitely is an idol. But an idol can be anything other than God that we trust in to make us happy or secure. Pharaoh's whole life was consumed by idolatry. I did a little bit of research kind of into the background of what Egypt was like at this time. And Pharaoh's whole job every day was basically idol worship. That was basically his whole job, to represent the people. Um, he performed daily rituals in the temples to the gods of Egypt, and he and his ancestors themselves were believed to be gods. His will in the land was law. And he was believed to be the embodiment of power, both in heaven and earth, both in this life and in the afterlife. At the time of Moses, there had been pharaohs ruling Egypt and performing this idolatry for more than a thousand years. If, you know, I'm sure the first thing any of you guys think about with Egypt is like the pyramids, right? It doesn't say in the scriptures whether Moses ever saw the pyramids. But if he did, he would have seen something that was already a 1,000 years old. That's how long this idolatry had been going on in Egypt. The Pharaoh was probably the most powerful person on earth in his day. It is easy to see how someone in such a position would have trouble admitting that he was wrong. Not just about one thing, but about everything. That his life, his country, his religion his family, his history, his wealth, his power, his armies, that they were all false and fake. And that the real thing, the true thing, is not the gods and splendor of Egypt or the power, wealth, and armies of Pharaoh, but the god of Pharaoh's slaves. He would have had to admit that he is not God, that he is not powerful, that he is not in control, 
that instead there is a true God, but it's not the one his fathers worshipped. It's the God who his brick-making slaves worship. The God of the lowly slaves who live and die at Pharaoh's command. Rarely has there been someone who would have had to have their whole world turned upside down as for the Pharaoh of Egypt to be humiliated and utterly powerlessness before the God of his Hebrew slaves. But that is an important truth that always has been and always will be true about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is upside down like that. The hard-hearted will always trust in power, wealth, security, tradition, and will. And it will always be very hard for anyone trusting in those things to put their trust in a crucified God who was the friend of the lowly and outcasts, a God with little regard for dollars or guns, but who has great regard for the tears of the brokenhearted. It is hard for a powerful man to trust in that kind of God. It is hard for a rich and wealthy family to turn aside from that security to the security of the slave God who died on a cross. So that's one reason, his idolatry, why Pharaoh's heart was so hard and why a person's heart can become so hard. In addition to the idolatry of power, power Pharaoh was also hard-hearted due to the effects of his own sin. I'm sad to say that I have observed this exact problem happen in my own life, similar to how it happened to Pharaoh. And I'm guessing that some of you have had this too. Sin that I have committed over and over again, or gone back to again, even after repenting, it can become difficult to care about it as much. It can become easier to justify it. Our hearts can become more comfortable with that sin. It can feel like less of a big deal. We can even begin to start to say, maybe that is actually good. This pattern is easy to see in our own lives with sins that we commit, with evil things that we tend to do again and again. Um, but there are two types of sin. There are sins of commission, doing things that we should not do, but also sins of omission, not doing things that we should do. The hard heart of repeated sin can be harder to see, but even more damaging when it comes to those sins of omission. Things that we should be doing, but we are not doing. The more we keep not doing them, the more it seems justified that we're not doing them. The more it seems normal that we're not doing them. There are many commands of the Lord that are given of things that we're supposed to be doing in obedience to him and for the advancement of his kingdom. But if we've gotten used to overlooking those commands, and if we have ignored the promptings of the Holy Spirit, then we can have a very hard heart and not even realize it. But God realizes it. And we will need his mighty hand in order to break that hard heart and to get it beating again. There are many examples of this, but a simple one, since we just had a whole sermon series about it, would be to talk about forgiveness. If we have gone a long time 
hardening our hearts against someone who God is calling us to forgive, we can be carrying a very hard heart. And each day that goes by increases the force that will be needed to eventually break that heart. We shouldn't be fooled and think that we're going to make it to the finish line and that someday we're going to carry that hard heart with us all the way into heaven. Uh, eventually, that heart will have to be broken. But it might come by a mighty compulsion of God's hand, which could be very painful. We won't be carrying that grudge in heaven. It's just worth thinking about that. If there's somebody you're having trouble forgiving, you're not going to be carrying that unforgiveness with you all the way into heaven. That's going to have to be purified from your life. Um, but the pain that may be necessary to burn away that heart if it has become very hard. And we can think of other commands of the Lord and examine ourselves to make sure that our hearts haven't become hard against them. The third way that Pharaoh's heart became so hard is because of the judgment of God. This is shown very clearly in the scriptures, although it can be hard for us to accept. Clearly in the scriptures, both Pharaoh hardened his heart, his own heart, and also God hardened his heart. So let's not be mistaken and think that the hardness of Pharaoh's heart originated with God. It originated with Pharaoh. But it is also clear that one of the ways that God's judgment came down on Pharaoh and one of the ways that God was going to reveal his glory was by making Pharaoh's hard heart even harder. This is a concept that can be seen in other places in the scriptures. For example, in Psalm 81, God says that his people wouldn't listen to him, so he's going to give them over to their stubborn hearts. Or in Romans, when Paul discusses how the Jews had rejected Jesus and talks about how God was going to harden their hearts. Make no mistake, there is, there is no heart so hard that Jesus cannot overcome that hardness. But sometimes part of God's judgment on sin will be to harden the heart even harder. But if that heart does eventually break, oh, the pain that will be endured for that hard heart to find repentance. But oh, the amazing glory given to Jesus when he eventually heals a heart that was even that hard. So there are some questions that I mentioned earlier, uh, which are the main questions of the sermon that I want to return to. Is there any way that I, that you, is there any way that I have a hard heart? Is there anyone who I am hard-hearted toward? Are there any sinful ways that I am hardened in so that I am not willing or able to truly repent? Is there anything that Jesus has called me to do that I am hardened against obeying? So in the next moments, I'm just going to run through each of these questions again. And we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to speak to you in silence. I'm going to read the question, and then I'm going to wait for an excruciating 10 seconds. Right? But I don't want you to do any deep thinking. I want you to pay attention to the first thing that comes into your mind. The very first thing that jumps into your mind after I read that question. Pay close attention 
and do not quench the spirit. Don't let that thing that comes into your head slip away. I brought a pen with me because I am hoping that when I read the question, the first thing that jumps into my mind will be a word from the spirit. And I want to try it right, right real quick because I don't want to lose that. A word from God is not something to be just okay and move on. A hard heart is a terrible burden to carry and a real hindrance to our lives. I pray that the Holy Spirit will give you understanding today and start you on the path to living out the promise of Jesus. This is the prophecy of Jesus in Ezekiel. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, a heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. That's the promise. And I would even suggest, if you have a scrap of paper, if you have your phone, if you need to write it in the dirt, if you hear a word from the Holy Spirit, don't let it slip away. Don't treat that so casual. Pay attention to the first thing that comes to your mind. And that 10 seconds is going to be excruciating. I'm warning you. All right. Question one. Is there any way that I have a hard heart? Is there anyone who I am hard-hearted toward? Are there any sinful ways that I am hardened in so that I am not willing or able to truly repent. Is there anything that Jesus has called me to do that I am hardened against obeying? Okay, I want to leave with a closing thought. Okay? And this is about the role of tears in the Christian life. So I had a pastor when I was a child. Um, he was a, a great and interesting man. His name was Wilbert Hoffman. He actually passed away just this year. Right? And everybody in my church that I went to liked him. He was a good pastor. But they did have one complaint about him. The complaint about him 
was that he was always crying in the pulpit. All right? So I just want you to be able to picture him. Big guy, almost my height, maybe a little shorter, buzz cut, looked like he could beat you in arm wrestling. He was manly, but week after week in the pulpit, just tears flowing down his face. Now, that might seem like a weird thing that people would complain about, but I guess that people would complain about it just shows you how much crying was going on. And usually the context of these tears would be him talking about his own testimony, which was centered on just how hard his heart has been as a young man, but that in the mercy, God had broken his hard sinner's heart and given him the ability to love, to be forgiven, and to be a whole different type of man. And his tears, I'm telling you, they would just flow. Sometimes, in the hardness of our hearts, we might have lost the ability to weep in sorrow over our sins or to cry in the joy of our salvation. Our prayers of confession and repentance or our worship can taste a little bland in the absence of those salty tears which accompany them so well. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Repentance is not about a big show of weeping and wailing. Repentance is about making a change. However, I won't hesitate to pray for you and for me that if our hearts are hard in any way, Lord, please break them. And let today be the day of salvation. And if the Spirit is calling, let's respond today. Let's not quench the Spirit and become even harder. So Holy Spirit, reveal our hearts and do what it takes to make us like Jesus. If it takes tears, please send them. To some of us, the idea of crying before the Lord seems weak. But if Pharaoh was revealed as a weakling before God, then surely I am no stronger. Maybe tears are not what you need today, but maybe they are what you need today. Maybe, maybe your heart is too hard for tears, and instead you need a plague of frogs or darkness. If so, I don't want the Holy Spirit to leave us with that hard heart, but to do what it takes so that we're not trying to carry that hard heart with us into heaven. Either way, Holy Spirit, Jesus, please do your work. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please make us a church of soft-hearted people eager to listen and obey you. Lord, it's so easy in this world to think that a hard heart is strong and good. That being soft is weak and won't get anything done. It's so easy to think that crying over our sin or tears in the joy of our salvation is, what's that really going to do? But Lord, 
You, in fact, are the one who can do everything and has shown by your power that you can do it. So for me to weep before you is so much more powerful, will accomplish so much more than anything I could ever consider doing on my strongest, smartest, richest day. The defenses of you, of faith in you, and the security that comes in your love offer so much more protection than any toughness, than any strength, any um, defenses that I can muster, Lord. So I just pray that as a church, each and every one of us would just be on a path of just laying it down, Lord. Just taking whatever it is that we're carrying around or that we're being um, hard about or that we're having trouble listening to you about, that we're having trouble repenting of. And I just pray, Lord, that we'd be able to lay it down and that in your mercy, you would just tenderize and plow up the ground of our hearts so that it's just ready to receive your word and your spirit and to respond in obedience. And Lord, I pray specifically for people who are trapped in a sin of, that just comes back and back even though we're repenting of it again and again, Lord. It's a terrible experience, Lord, to feel trapped in that rut of just the wheel keeps turning and even though I say I'm going to repent, it just comes back and back. Lord, we, only you can make a change, Lord. There's nothing I'm doing or nothing that any of us are going to suddenly come up with some great idea that's going to rescue us from that um, prison of that hard heart and that sin. But Lord, you have the power to remove the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. That your will would not be a law over us, but instead would be our will that we would want what you want, and that we would just be filled with a new spirit that wants to love what you love, that wants to love who you love, and that wants to live in the freedom that comes from just being in step with you. So I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.